welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Sandra McCracken, singer, songwriter, and hymn writer from Nashville, Tennessee, joins the podcast today. She is a prolific recording artist and has produced 14 solo albums over two decades. Her best-selling release, Psalms, in 2015 received critical acclaim, followed by God's Highway in 2017, which made the top 50 on Billboard Heat Seekers chart without a major label. Blending the old and the new, Sandra has also shown a unique ability to recast sacred scripture text into theologically rich yet accessible songs. Her thoughtful lyrics and gospel melodies and songs like, We Will Feast in the House of Zion, Steadfast, and Thy Mercy, My God, have become staple anthems in churches across the U.S. As a published writer, she contributes a regular column to Christianity Today and is working on her first book that will come out later this year. In this episode, we talk about her new album, Patient Kingdom, how we keep worshiping in difficult times, her spiritual journey, and of course, her new book. Sandra will be speaking in chapel at Asbury Seminary on March 9th at 11 a.m. in Estes Chapel. We invite you to join in person with COVID-19 policies in place or online at asbury.to slash live or on the Asbury Seminary Chapel Facebook page. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Sandra. Sandra, thanks so much for taking the time to be part of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. Really glad to have you here today. Thanks so much, Heidi. It's good to be with you. Yeah. How is everything going in Nashville? Well, you know, everybody's had such a crazy year, but um, there are certainly some gifts in it and um, things are going okay. We've had, um, yeah, like we're all kind of at home together, my kids and family and um, working. So creative life. Uh, somebody told me this recently, this idea that, you know, it's like all the food on your plate is touching, like everything <laughs> is sort of connected. Um, so that's kind of where we're living right now. Yeah. Has COVID, has it helped or hindered your creativity? Because I've heard different things depending on the person. Well, in the beginning, so we had um, an, one added layer because right before COVID, we had a tornado that came through our neighborhood. Yeah, that's right. Our house was okay, but we had a lot of neighbors and friends that lost, um, kind of lost everything, you know, overnight. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And then, and then COVID just sort of quieted and gave us some, it, it almost was like, um, at first we all just, um, had this pause, this like great pause. And I thought, oh man, we're going to read and we're going to do a lot of things while we're waiting for this to blow over. And so I think it, at first, creatively, I thought I was ambitious about thinking I was going to read and write and do all these <laughs> things. And then your brain gets a little foggy, right? It's like mm-hmm. hard to maintain that um, that concentration when there's just a lot of disruption. So I think it's my answer would be both. Like it has both helped make some creative space or brings things to attention that you hadn't noticed before. And then it also is challenging because you don't have the normal rhythms that you can lean on to exercise your creativity. You know, mm-hmm. you just don't have time alone and you don't have like the normal workout schedule or whatever the other things are, you know, it's all a little bit up in the air. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so as people will have already heard in your introduction, you're a singer, songwriter, and modern hymn writer, modern day hymn writer. How did you first get started? Um, I started, well, I loved music. I loved listening to music on, you know, our, our family record player. And when I was a kid and all my um, brothers and sister le- listened to music. And so it kind of happened by accident, I think. I was I wrote in a journal a lot when I was really young and then journaling became songwriting by the time I was like a young teenager and it was just a mode of self-expression and I I thought I'd probably be a teacher or do something else for a job but um but music just continued to develop um as as both a, a creative outlet and also just I think I just invested a lot of time in it. So by the time I went through college or went to college and studied music and then came through college, it was like um, taking those steps toward it, it. It just happened very gradually that I ended up becoming a singer songwriter for a living. Wow. That's awesome. Were there other singer songwriters in your family? No, um, no other, you know, professional musicians. I mean, a, a few of my family members are, you know, or great singers too, but they just like sing around the house, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was reading some of your uh, blog posts and articles with Christianity today to kind of prepare for this interview. Um, and one of the things you mentioned is how people give gifts that the giver might not realize what that gift means to the recipient or how that gift helps them. And so that made me think about Mr. Rogers um, when he received an award and how he invited everybody in the audience to think of Mm. one person or several people who had been influential in their lives. And so I wanted to ask you, can you think of someone who has given you a gift that they might not have realized was so meaningful and impactful to you and helped you on your journey? Mm. That's a great question. I would say there are, um, yeah, a few people come to mind. And I love that question in the moment when Mr. Rogers just continues to point people outward toward each other, toward one another and community. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's so, in a way, it's so countercultural, right? It, like uh, all of our practice on social media is like, look at me, you know, <laughs> and, and there, yeah. Fred Rogers is like, um, look at, what who has poured into you so um there are so many people that come to mind one is at the top of my list would be my friend andy ashworth and she's a friend she wrote a book called real love for real life um and you get a a good sense of who she is through that book but we've just spent um consistent time together since i moved to nashville and i was like away from family and we developed a friendship and um she has really mentored and taught me about everything from writing letters to, you know, how to steam broccoli and roast a chicken. I mean, like just the whole range of human life and being able to share that with, with um, her and her family over the years has been a real gift to me. So I think about the way she's poured into me and in conversation and intentional time. And Mm -hmm. I hope to do that for others as well, because it's been really meaningful to me. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that you've also talked about is how the how being in the word comes out in the work that you do mm-hmm. or that we all do and I found that really meaningful because um, it made me think I mean sometimes I feel like I just get up in the morning and I come come to work so it kind of made me start thinking about um, 
how my own spiritual journey comes out in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious about what parts of your faith and spiritual journey were reflected in the songs that you write. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that um, I was aware of it. You know, I can see it as I look back, but Hebrews 4 talks about the word of God being living and active um, mm-hmm. and like compares it to a sword that, you know, I think about sometimes scripture, it brings comfort. Sometimes it brings um, conviction. It can do all kinds of different things, but it's not a passive um you know, book on the table, there's a, there's something different about the words of scripture because they are the word of God and they are alive that when we memorize them or spend time with them or write them down or refer to them, um, you know, there's a place in Deuteronomy six that talks about like, write these promises, write these words over the, like on the walls of your house and talk about them on the road and teach them to your children. There's a sense that, that the word is made to be a living part of our language and our, um, even if it's not just um, like structured, it is, it becomes part of us. So I think for me, that has, has certainly been the case. And if I were in a different vocation, I think it would come out in a different way. You know, you kind mm-hmm. of see it more in songs. You have like references to, to both scripture and hymns all over my songs, even the ones that aren't really about, um, they're not really like church songs necessarily. So yeah, that's kind of a long answer to say um, <laughs> that, that you know, it can be a simple thing like the practice of writing a short passage and just meditating on the words and writing it every morning or, you know, before you go to work and um, or listening to um, something in your car and just connecting to those words can be so fruitful and it can bear fruit in times you don't even expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's amazing what you've listened to comes back to you when you need it. I, I found for me, even when I didn't mm-hmm. intend to memorize something, it is just kind of there. And I think the Lord just brings that to mind. For sure. Yeah. It is It is um, something I've seen over and over as well. That's well said. What is your songwriting process like? Is it still, because you started out, you said you journaled. Is it still kind of like that? It is. Um, I started out journaling and then kind of the journals were sometimes or sometimes they were just reflective and I still do that and um, songs emerge a lot of times out of that writing and reflection I have noticed because I'm I love being around people and I um, and I am around people a lot that it it helps if I have a little solitude to reflect and to hear that quieter those quieter undertones you know that are hard to hear when everybody's around and when there's a lot going on so um silence and quiet or you know just finding a spot to bring my guitar and sit in the corner somewhere that really helps Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it helps the creative process yeah yeah definitely we talked about covid when we first um started out i think everybody's talked about covid um probably ad nauseum Mm -hmm. at this point um Mm -hmm. in our time dealing with it but um one of the things in his eyes on the sparrow it talks about um, singing because we're happy, singing because we're free. Um, but we also go through difficult times of transition that are disori- disorienting. And how do we keep worshiping during those times? Well, it's a good question. I, I guess, how do we do it? I don't know. We, I think, <laughs> I think recognizing that it's not a checklist, um, but that it is something that actually nourishes us. 
to continue to go there. And in the times of disorientation, when we're trying to get our bearings and something seems new or unfamiliar, um, a lot of the things we've relied on up to that point are not working for us. And that's why we're uncomfortable. And so it can actually be an opportunity to go back to those things we know to be true, even when we don't feel like it. And Mm -hmm. so how we do it can be a discipline. It can be um, like a practice or making some habits around going back to it, to the truth and to the scripture. Um, But I would say um, in our discomfort that it is really a call and an invitation to come and and know that the presence of God is with us in all, at all times and in all those changes. Yeah. How has worshiping changed for you during this time? There's less solitude just by nature of everyone being home more often, you know, and I'm in a family. I mean, mm-hmm. we five of us in the house together. Um, oh, wow. So that that's changed, I think, a lot for for a lot of us um, worship, like a Sunday worship service is either virtual or limited or with masks. And I, I do miss um, singing together. The change, mm-hmm. that change for me, I think, is has made me really long for that and to realize how important that part is of um, not just saying what we believe, but singing it in a way that's more embodied. So I definitely miss that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like how you differentiated between uh, worship at home and then send what I, what we, some people worship on Saturday, Sunday, um, mm-hmm. whatever, but like the corporate worship. So I guess that leads me to ask, what does worship mean to you? How do you define that? Worship is essentially turning from everything else back toward the beauty of who God is and and then allowing his beauty to realign and reorient you to everything else. So Calvin and Francis Schaeffer, a lot of theologians have talked about um, how we are we are made for worship, so we are worshipers. And if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. So I think when, when I think about biblical or Christian worship, it's turning from the other things, the shallow springs, to the deep waters, to the living waters, and turning from um, these small kind of idols that we prop up to, that we look to for life, and turning back to God's provision for us that is sufficient. And so it's, it is like a, it's a pivot. And sometimes that pivot is like brings a lot of affection. And sometimes you just, you have all the feels, right? (laughs) Where you're like, oh, I (laughs) believe this right now. Other times it's just a pivot and you are, um, you're saying, yes, I believe, I will confess this even if I don't feel like it right now. And, and so it's kind of both. And it's, it's something that, um, okay, you remember the scene in Forrest Gump when he, um, when he is a little boy and his, and his legs are, um, like growing at his legs are basically broken. <laughs> they're growing at irregular times. Uh-huh. At one point he's been wearing these, these braces on his legs. And at one point he just starts running and they just start the, the braces, the bolts burst out and he starts running and just runs all the way home. And that scene is so stunning and it stays with me because I think that's like worship is in a sense, all the things that we're doing in worship when we have a call to worship and we have the prelude and we have these different, these different things are like, they're like the structure that we put around it. But worship is the actual running that you just, you know, it's just like, yes, we need this stuff to, to grow in the, in the way that God has designed us to grow. 
And yet the design is for us to run and to experience the wind in our face and the pleasure of God as we do so. Yeah, definitely. And I really like the idea, at least I think you're saying this, of like we we worship God as a body on on Sunday or whenever we gather together. But I like I like the idea of taking worship with us throughout the week. Um, mm-hmm. What what can that look like? Because for I guess I'm asking because for a long time I just thought oh this is what I do on Sunday, and it was only maybe a year or so ago I started thinking about oh this is worship is something that I do in my work or that I do when I'm with my friends or or whatever. So what what can that look like? Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I think I remember when I was at school and away from the church I was in with my parents and my family, and I I began to understand what faith meant on my own and what it meant. I think that was the first time I really understood that it 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 is part of our whole lives and not just a part of this one um, this one way or this one practice of of shared worship together on Sundays. I think both are really important. And, and I think that when, and for all of us, it's different. It's like we go through different stages where we're learning things about God and how he meets us and what it means to worship him and to give our lives to him. Romans 12, the first verses of that chapter talk about offering our bodies as living sacrifices this is our spiritual act of worship, which says to me that it's, it is when we're sent out of those doors at the end of a church service, um, we, like you're saying, whether that's for, uh, Saturday or Sunday, when we're sent out, we are commissioned to go and to be the living sacrifices out in the world that we're not meant to just like be cloistered and never engaging or doing anything else, but that we are meant to go out and do and to engage with God's world in, in redemptive ways, um, wherever God places us. So I want to shift gears a little bit, if I could, and talk about your recently released album, Patient Kingdom. Um, what was it like to create, release, and or create, record, and release an album in 2020? It felt triumphant to yeah. be like, a, like finish something last year, you know, and still when I look back, it wasn't Done. We didn't get to make the album the way we thought we were going to make it. I, I, I would have loved if we could be in the same room together. The musicians that were part of the project were all in different states, and some of them had higher risks as far as health and their ability to travel. So we couldn't be in the same room, but we were able to record and connect long distance and learn so much about how to do that. And I think the end result is that it still sounds like we were in the room together, it definitely um, does. Man, thank you. I think that's what's kind of a marvel is I, I, I was really sad about it at first because I just felt frustrated by having to run my own microphone sometimes and <laughs> yeah. how to use some of this, you know, like I was doing my own engineering for some of what my part of it. And, um, and that was so frustrating. There were sometimes I would just like take my head in my hands, you know, it's just like, man, this is not <laughs> the normal way of doing this or the way I'm used to. And, and yet it still produced something that I'm really proud of. And I don't think it's lacking because we weren't in the same space. It just has some different qualities and even some surprises that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. I love your album. Did COVID affect any of the songs that you put in it? Thank you so much. Um, yes, it did. Actually, the title, okay. the title track, Patient Kingdom, was a song that I had written a few years prior. And mm-hmm. 
I just came across the demo while we were in working on the album and I thought like, Oh man, it just, uh, it seemed like the theme, the whole theme song was so captured by just that song title. And so that one had already been written, but was not originally in this batch of songs. And then, um, and then a few others were written during the time um, when we were all in separate places. One of those is on high places. And I wrote that. I, I wondered about that. Cause I was like, this sounds a lot like 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was right in the middle of that. And it was a song. Um, I wrote it with Leslie and Krista, Leslie Jordan and Krista Wells. And we were, um, we were on like a FaceTime call and, uh, you know, kids and family all in the background and just, um, that beautiful song just emerged out of that collaboration and, and I know them very well. So it was even a sweeter thing to have this like point of connection that, Mm -hmm. um, that felt like that's its own gift is the experience of writing it together. And then, you know, having the song that fits so well on the, on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, well, when, um, Dr. Powers told me you were coming and, you know, opened up the door for this interview to happen. I was really excited. And I hadn't, I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't heard any of your music before, yeah, but yeah. being introduced to you and your music, I I have fallen in love with it. And <laughs> I truly mean that. It is beautiful. And I feel like your songs like um, On High Places or the other one that really stood out to me on your album was um, You Are the Word. Um they're just beautiful. And I feel like you just gave words for feelings that I've had that I didn't know I had, but you also very gently guided me back to the truth. But if we could, could we talk a little bit about the song, You Are the Word? Like, why did you, why did you write that? And can you tell me the story behind that? Hmm. Um, well, I thank you for kind of opening that vulnerability. And I, I um I think we've all been asking some harder questions during this disruption and mm-hmm. we all have experienced it in different ways but also this is like such a shared experience this one mm-hmm. this song you are the word was written right before I mean it was in the same time frame but a little bit before things were closed closed down and I wrote it with my friend Phil Madeira and I think um we just had a really meaningful conversation as we were working on this song, just a, around asking these questions. And I, and I think what, without trying to explain the song too much, I would say it's, mm-hmm. a, it's engaging with this idea of John one, where God, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, just this, um, the fullness of this idea that God is the word. He is the promise. He is the provider. So he is present with us in all of this. And, so we can bring our questions there. So the verses are pretty heavy with questions. Um, I had lost mm-hmm. a friend just prior, like the year prior to um, a car accident in South Africa. And mm-hmm. it was so unexpected. And I think um, I think her memory is embedded in that song. And there was some connection even with her husband as, as we were working on the song. I mean, just a lot of threads in there that helped me to... It, it helped me to be able to ask those questions to God and say, I don't know the answers to these things, but I know you are the word. And so I can, I can bring the questions and it's safe to do so because he is the ultimate um, keeper of the promise, right? He's the one that holds mm-hmm. that and that he is the word. Um, he gives us the word and then he also is the word. So 
even in those unanswered questions that um, we will one day know that in full. Yeah. How do you, how do you hear the word? How do you hear God's, God's voice to you? Oh, I love that question. I, sometimes I hear it in, um, in like an echo of it in other things, right? So in creation or in a song or in like a, a conversation with a friend and, and something very tangible in those ways. And then other times I hear it and this is newer for me. I didn't, I didn't grow up understanding or having a practice of this, but when I read scripture and when I sit in quiet reflection, I have learned more to hear and to listen and to not just study the Bible, but to sit and to wait to let the Lord speak in those places of quiet. And it's mm-hmm. not an audible voice, but there is something familiar that I start to hear when I know it's like John 10, when it's like the voice of the shepherd is really different than the voice of the deceiver. And you start to identify the tone of his voice and the kindness of it and the strength of it. And and then it helps me to differentiate between that, between his voice and all the other competing voices and lies and, you know, self-doubt and shame and all the other things that would, that would, um, kind of argue back, right? <laughs> I think that yeah, I yeah. think it's been a practice of learning to just be still and to identify when it's this kind of tone, I, I know and I believe that it's the Spirit of God that's testifying to the promises that are true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like how hearing these stories, it here um lets us see a little bit of your own own faith journey and like what you're learning about God, what you're seeking from him, you know, I think that that gives us, as we listen, that gives us all hope as well. Mm. I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. How is releasing an album? I mean, obviously it's different now than probably it would have been in 2019. How is it different now? Um, Because I'm assuming you'd be on tours right now, right? Mm. Well, that's true. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there's not, it's hard to, it's hard to know how people are connecting with an album when it goes out almost entirely digital, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So it's like you could get an email or you could get um, a reply or a personal message from someone, but um, I haven't had that experience of playing them in person very much yet on these new songs. So I know that day will come and that'll be great, but um but I think for now there's, there's like a, it's almost like that when, when seeds are planted underground and you haven't seen them sprout, it's like, you know, it's winter, you know, that they're under there and then it's going to do that. But the germination, the, the quiet and the darkness of that, it seems like darkness, but actually it's really doing some hard work of nourishing the soil. So I think for me, these songs are still kind of, um, nourishing me and teaching me and, um, and then at some point, if they're above ground and we can see the whole, you know, the whole flower, that'll be really wonderful to celebrate that too. Yeah. The, how you describe this time right now kind of reminds me of the title of your album, Patient Kingdom. Why did mm-hmm. you choose to call it Patient Kingdom? Um, well, that image of the song was based on... Um, the song was written with a couple of friends, a guy named Gareth Davies Jones and Sarah Mason. We were sitting on a porch in Vermont a few summers ago, and we were watching a hummingbird and looking out over this beautiful farm where we were staying. 
and we were talking about the call of creation and how um, sometimes things move slowly and they move in ways that we don't understand. And yet God is at work, even if it's like one mile an hour. Mm -hmm. And so we were watching this hummingbird and I was, and we were talking about how the hummingbird is moving. Like the wings are moving really fast. They can move up to like 80 beats um, per second. And, Uh and then the center of the bird is so still. And I put that, I mean, that's in the lyric, but there's just this like paradox that both are happening at the same time. So we are working hard. We are moving, we are active and participating in our faith and in the work that God's given us to do. And also there's the stillness and the peace and the being the, the sense of being held in position when our core is secure. And so that little bird just really sparked this idea and looking out over the, over the scene of the landscape, thinking about how creation really inspires us and calls us to patience in a way that God is ushering in his kingdom, but much slower than we expect sometimes. <laughs> and much slower than we would like sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you, what did you personally learn about God as you wrote the songs in this album? Yeah. In addition to some of the things we've shared, um, yeah. these songs were what I set out to write this album a few years before the pandemic. And I, I had been traveling and talking with people and a lot of our conversations, there was just a theme in conversation that kept, um, going back to anxiety and what it is to respond comfort, like to give comfort, to speak words of comfort, to sing comfort over and against anxiety. So I think that was really the main thrust of this creative project was to put together a batch of songs that would help us to do that. And then overlay that with all the circumstances that unfolded during the time of making it. Um, Mm -hmm. It just felt even more, um, uh, kind of prophetic with a small P, you know? Yeah. Something we hadn't intended, but really timely. Yeah, because anxiety has, I mean, I struggle with being anxious sometimes, mm-hmm. and we all do. But I think, um, especially now, there's even more of us that if it wasn't as difficult a struggle for us, that it's an even greater struggle considering everything that's happened mm-hmm. in, with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Too. Has that, have you found that that's, more difficult or, or, uh, less like is anxiety more prevalent? I think, I don't know about everybody else, but I think for me, I don't know, maybe I was just busier. And so it like hit itself more, Yeah, you know, and I can like, um, you know, go out and do things and not, not like face it, but then there was nothing to do. And so Mm. I was like, I'll come out of this a different person. And I still hope to do that. I don't see that in my life so much right now, yeah. but I, I hope that that is the case and I'm taking steps for that to be the case because mm. I don't want that to have the the control over me that it does because what I'm finding is, and I've heard other people say too, is like some things were stripped away in 2020. A lot of things were, mm-hmm. but we found, and I know I did this, found other crutches to fill yeah. that gap and other ways to medicate and yeah. like quote medicate ourselves like me um i'm like buying things online like not maxing out credit cards not i'm just like oh yeah we can do yeah. that like we're not going anywhere like and i'm like <laughs> right. what are you doing 
<laughs> yeah, I can completely relate to that. Um, yeah. I think that's part of, I think that's part of what's been exposed. And it's like, it's God's mercy that we would see it, but man, it's uncomfortable. And, it is. you know, having to be, having, having those old go-to things um, removed, then all of a sudden we're like having to confront those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your album definitely speaks, at least to me, it spoke truth to the fear mm. that I face a lot in my life. And I'm really grateful for your work. I'm so thankful, Heidi. That's really an encouragement to me too. So some of your songs are, have been, get sung in corporate worship um, pretty regularly. Like, we will feast in the house of Zion steadfast and thy mercy, my God. There may be others, but those are the ones that I found. Mm -hmm. um, do you write with corporate worship in mind for these particular songs, or does that just kind of happen? Um, well, interesting. The ones you mentioned um, were not intentionally written for for corporate worship, but they, they were both— those two were pretty personal um, reflections at the time. So I, but then at other times I have tried to be really intentional and I, um, as you know, zoomed out, I've really over time made more and more of an effort of trying to write songs that are singable and that are singable in a way that it doesn't have to be my voice or my style of singing, but that they could translate to a lot of different contexts. And mm -hmm. um, I think, I think in some ways that's, that's been um, a really good practice and there's always more to learn, but it, it's like the old tradition of folk music where, where songs were meant to be shared and they were meant to be sung together and at home and in the car and on the back porch and wherever, you know? So mm -hmm. that would be my, my intention is to keep writing and thinking about that um, and how to do that well. Yeah. We've talked about my next question in bits and pieces, um, just in our conversation, but when people listen to this album, Patient Kingdom, what do you hope they take away from their experience? You know, somebody recently uh, outlined just the song titles and, um, and the order of the songs. And, you know, the album ends with, uh, be still my soul, the traditional hymn mm -hmm. melody. And, um, and just the way my hope would be that it would, it would point on this trajectory toward peace. But somebody was saying when they outlined these songs that look like a five point sermon, you know, it's like it followed, <laughs> it followed this like plan of leading you through um, like hearing the message of grace. And I guess that would be my hope is that it, it might meet you one place or another. And I don't know if even people listen to albums like in order anymore, because I, I don't know that I do. Sometimes it's just jumping around or it's a playlist or it's on shuffle. But my hope would be that no matter which sequence or which song, that each one would, would be like a conduit for God's comfort to our hearts, that we would believe it and be brought back to truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. What are you working on next? Um, well, I'm finishing up work on a, on my first book, which is, oh. uh, which was like just the craziest timing that this was in motion. And then I had time at home this year to work on that. And, um, and it's a very new experience for me. I, I, I think I'm most comfortable in like three minute songs, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so trying to, trying to say, um, trying to express some of the same thoughts and ideas, but with, you know, 50,000 words, it's like, wow, this is really, <laughs> yeah. it's really new for me. So I'm, I'm getting close on that starting to come into view and it's supposed to come out in September of 21. So it's just around the corner now. It's called send out your light. That's awesome. What is it about? 
it actually covers some of the things we're talking about today, but the subtitle would be the illumination of scripture and song. So song lyrics and scripture and kind of how all that, you know, bleeds in together in my work and in, in my life. So it has some stories and some song lyrics and some kind of devotional ideas, but, um, it probably fits kind of between the lines of all those categories as far as what kind of book it is. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. Is it? A, I can check this out myself, but is it available for pre-order right now? Not yet. Okay. All right. We'll be soon. We'll send, we'll send word to you. Um, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, love that. Thank you. Yeah. We'll be looking for it because that's very exciting, especially any book is exciting. I've never written one, but I would imagine especially your first one is yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Like it, I think with, you know, a lot of people have talked this year about doing new things, like trying things for the first time and how uncomfortable yeah. that is. And um, it's also such a great exercise because you feel so out of your element when you're, it's really humbling to just not know what you're doing. Like we picked up tennis not long ago and, and we, as a family, and I'm so bad at tennis, but I love going <laughs> out there and running around because it's like another opportunity to just like try something that I'm not good at, but that, um, but that I can learn stuff, you know, <laughs> learn something. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like for me, I shy away from things that I'm not good at. Yeah. Or if I'm not good at it the first time, uh -huh. I, I'm like, well, I'm going to move on to uh -huh. something else. So what have you found to be the value of perseverance? Because it seems like, mm -hmm. yeah, like with tennis, you're like, I just enjoy this. I'm, I'm really bad at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's fun. We should play tennis next time. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's fun for anyone that would play with me, but I think that there is a freedom that comes when you start to talk, when you see these things we've been talking about, like play out, there's a, there's a confidence that comes and a freedom to fail. So if you're not great mm. at something, it almost, as you begin to believe um, that God is for you. And as you begin to hear his voice, I do think one of the implications is that you just start feeling more free to try things and free, free to be who you are. And that, man, if that's like one of the byproducts of the songs, um, that would be a bonus, right? That's, I think that's how I'm experiencing some of it too. And, um, I probably won't ever be good at tennis, but, <laughs> but it does give me courage to keep trying new things. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know if this question will make it into the the podcast, but did you ever fail at songwriting? Was it always, it seems easy for you. Was it always easy for you? Oh man, my first songs were terrible. <laughs> um, I hope it makes it in the podcast because that that's a great question and something we all can understand that, that yeah, you got to start somewhere and you keep at it and you keep um, learning. And in the learning, there's like the self-discovery and there's um, the joy of collaborating with other people and learning from people that are better at something than you are. And um, whether that's an instrument or, you know, um, playing guitar for me, but yeah, a lot of my early songs um, and even some of the songs that are still up on, you know, I mean, I've been, I've had a lot of albums out that started when I was just out of college. And some of those songs I'm like, man, I, I would probably write that song really differently now, but they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's a good question to, to just as a good reminder that, um, yeah, I failed at a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> well, haven't we all? So we've talked about some of my favorite songs that you've written, but what is, what is some of your, what is one, I'm sure you have several. What is one of your favorite songs from your album? 
you have albums, but I'm thinking about the most recent one. One of the songs I enjoy more, like more and more over time, is um, from Fashion Kingdom. Is the song called "You Are the Word," and mm. I like it. I think I like it because it's more abstract. And so when I listen to it, I um, like some of the inflection will just hit me in a different way on different days. So if I'm playing it or or um, I, ha- I haven't been on tour or anything, but when there's a point of connection, even if it's like playing for a group on a zoom call, um, when I've played that song, it's really stirring because I feel like it, it leaves a lot of space for people to have different experiences of what those words might mean. So I like abstract songs for that reason. They, they're the ones that keep me coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, we have talked about a lot of things in our conversation Mm -hmm. and we have one question that we ask everybody before we wrap up the show but before we do that is there anything else you'd like to talk about that i didn't know to ask no this was good we covered a lot of ground we did thank you um so here's our one question that we ask everybody because the show is called the thrive with asbury seminary podcast what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now Mm. One thing that helps me thrive is having, um, this is not some spiritually deep answer, but I really love having a good cup of tea and I love it. Like I love it a certain way and just the water's got to be just hot enough and the right kind of tea and the right kind of mug. But I think things like that, those little rituals that are the same every day can really, um, help me to remember what day it is and, um, and have a good start. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I've been working on as a practice in my life is getting up so that I can have coffee at home before I run out the door in the morning. Um, And that is a huge, yeah, that is a huge, like if I have my coffee, I mean, I always have my coffee, but having it at home versus having it in a to-go mug just brings so much peace to my heart. So I appreciate that. I love that. That's a really good answer. I'm glad to know. Go ahead. I'm glad to know that like, I think those, you know, we sometimes talk about just the theology and the um, the big picture parts of what we're doing, but but the small things really matter too. They do. Yeah, they definitely do. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today and being part of our podcast. Thank you so much, Heidi. It's good to be with you. I'm looking forward to being on campus very soon. Yes, we're looking forward to having you. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Sandra. Isn't she just the best, you all? Her music and work are such a gift to each of us, giving us words to express our thoughts and feelings and to pray when we might not have them. So if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to let her know. Tag her on social media at at Sandra McCracken and tell her thanks for being part of today's episode. And as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, go do something that helps you thrive.